Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 58 of the New Slang Podcast. I'm Thomas Mooney, and on this episode, I'm joined by legendary singer-songwriter Radney Foster. He was here in Lubbock at the Cactus Theater a few weeks back, and I was just very, very fortunate to be able to sit down with him for about 30 minutes. The, the show itself, he was playing acoustic, and uh, it was just a really damn fine illustration of like of what uh, storytelling and songwriting can really be and um, a, a real integral part of the of this show uh, came from the fact that he he wrote this collection of short stories a few I guess it was about like a year ago when this when it all came out uh, last year he had released this album called for you to see the stars and uh, with that there's this companion piece of, of a book of short stories and so during the show he read a few excerpts and read like one of the the shorter the shortest i think the shortest story of the book and uh it just really like helps helps like set the stage for for the song that was going to be following it up just for that fact alone it kind of like sets a sets it apart from other kind of shows and um so as you'd expect like most of this conversation kind of revolves around the pairing of those two artistic channels and uh, how they kind of just like intertwine and, and work together. Also, as like you'd expect, you know, Radney is just a, a natural storyteller, even in just conversation. So like during this interview, he'd, he'd go into a few stories that, uh, that I just found fascinating. And uh, in addition to this latest episode with, with Radney, we have a few others uh, lined up that I'm really excited about. Uh, if you missed the previous ep- episode, it was with another singer-songwriter, Sean McConnell. So uh, be sure to go back and listen to that one as well. It's also a, a shorter piece of, you know, the interview was about 30 minutes as well. If you're interested in any of my long-form writing, just head over to Wide Open Country. There's a handful of new interview features and song premieres that I've been working on that came out this, uh, this week. Uh, there's stuff with folks like Jason Eady, Israel Nash, and Carolina Story. Next week, I have this like piece with Lori McKenna coming out, and uh, I really don't get too nervous doing interviews anymore. But you know, that was one that uh, uh, it was just a surreal kind of experience. So uh, yeah, that, that'll be coming out next week. So be on the lookout for that. Again, if you haven't subscribed to the to the podcast just yet, do so wherever you're hearing it at. Uh, be sure to give us a, a five star review and tell all your friends and family who you know like music and music conversation. Uh, if you're a, a consumer of any of the social media stuff, give us a follow and or a like on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Uh, that'll be at underscore new slang on Twitter and on Instagram. On Facebook, just search for New Slang. It'll be one of the first two or three results. If you'd like to advertise on the New Slang podcast, shoot us an email at newslang.editors at gmail.com. And uh, just one last note, a few folks have been asking about our theme music. It's an unreleased instrumental track called Black Horses. It was written by Lubbock guitarist Briston Phillips. He's a member of the band No Dry County. Uh, they've just recently released a album called Panhandle Music. I'd highly encourage you guys to go find that record on iTunes or Spotify. Uh, it's what I've 
kind of described as this like big sprawling musical adventure. There's a lot of really great storytelling and just uh, great sounds on that record. Uh, I think that's about it. Again, I'd like to thank Radney Foster for sitting down uh, and doing this interview. Uh, I think it's very insightful and it was just a, an incredible conversation, really enjoyable. So yeah, here is the conversation that I had with Radney Foster. You just recently released that new song, or it's not a new song, it's an old song, yeah. it's a remake. Um, like, I guess like it's Godspeed. What, God, like what? Godspeed Sweet Dreams was the original title mm-hmm. of the song. And uh, it was a lullaby that I wrote for my oldest boy um, when he was five years old. He was moving to France with his mom. I had uh, lost custody of him. I'd had joint custody of him, and his mother remarried and moved to France. And um, big dispute, like it normally is in those kinds of things. And uh, and she won. And so I had to figure out how to be a dad from a long way away. Mm-hmm. And we tried to make lemonade out of lemons every day. Um, and the one thing that I did when he was leaving was to write that song and put it on a cassette about six times in a row so he could go to sleep at night to it um and then i ended up recording it and emmy lou harris uh sang on it with me and it, then it got picked up by the dixie chicks um my wife had said you know natalie mains had just had her first boy and my wife said hey we should send her uh, a baby gift because they had already recorded some of my songs and you know and and i had been friends with them because they were the young girls hanging out at my shows and wanting to open and that kind of thing you know right. uh uh so i uh uh we sent a a little plushy toy or something i don't know a, a, a teddy bear or something and you know and uh some kind of kids gift and and a cd with just the one song on it said you know this has kept my boys asleep for quite some time now i hope it works with yours you know mm-hmm. and uh and uh unbeknownst to me they were you know making the record home at the time i didn't even know you know and uh I got pitched. They said, send us a bunch of bluegrass-type songs for these girls. And I was like, okay. So I sent them what I thought they ought to do. And they didn't do any of those. They did Godspeed because uh, Natalie fell in love with the song. And so, you know, that sold millions and millions of copies and became a centerpiece of their live thing. Uh, so it really became a, a really big song for me mm-hmm. because of that. Um, and I've been closing my shows as the last encore with that song for decades. So when, uh, you know, you couple that with the fact that I grew up on the Mexican border. My house was a mile, mile and a half from Mexico. I could ride my bike to the bridge. Right. You know, my mother would send me as a teenager uh, across the river to to go buy stuff at the market and bring it home. You know, so, I mean, it. so uh, it's a community that's dear to me. It's... Uh, um, I know it's very, very different. I know we do have an immigration problem, but having been a father separated from his child, I I know and understand how tough that really is. And I just think it's incongruent with our values that we would be taking children from families solely because they have crossed the border. Um, we don't do it because you get a speeding ticket. We don't even do it because you have a you know, misdemeanor drug violation in, right. in this country. So, I mean, you know, it just, it's, it, uh, it does not comport with our values. And so I was really grieving that 
a lot and and sort of asking myself what to do and i i've always tried to you know i've had some certain you know social statements or political statements in the past but really tried real hard to realize that people live on both sides of a fence and and be fair but um this one stuck in my craw and so i uh I was talking with my wife, and she said, you should do it in Spanish. And what she knows that, you know, the audience may not know is that I grew up in, you know, four generations on the Mexican border. Eighty percent of my friends' first language was Spanish. My father was a lawyer in Del Rio who, who you know, had clients whose first language was Spanish. And he's, he was adamant that we had to learn, learn to speak Spanish as children. So we spoke both Spanish and English in our home as kids. Yeah. And uh, we had a... Uh, a, a nanny who could speak English, but he, my father instructed her not to speak a word of it to us, you know? And so, <laughs> um, so, I mean, I really did grow up, you know, knowing both languages. And, uh, so I did my best at sort of doing a, you can't really transliterate, you know, it just doesn't work. Uh, you know, you really have to sort of rewrite your own song again, you yeah. know, and make it a, a little, and then so in that process, I tried to think about what's the situation at hand and rewrote it from that perspective and then called my friend, uh, really my freshman in high school girlfriend, one of my oldest friends from uh, growing up, uh, Debbie Hernandez, who who teaches both Spanish and English. I think she's got a master's in both. I mean, she's, you know, crazy smart and teaches um, at Delray High School uh, to this day. So I... Uh, called her up and I said, will you help me with this, you know, and just so I can make sure I really get it right. And she did. And it was a, a joy. Um, and I think we really captured the essence of what the meaning is in English and also really the, the, the heartfeltness of people who are on a journey with a small child. Right. You know, uh, my grandmother lived in Del Rio for oh, probably like 10 years back in the nineties. And I had some other family there. So, like, we were always going down there. And, sure. Um, I don't know. Like, that's one of the, the first connections I feel I felt with you growing right. up, like, you know, around six or seven years old and seeing that first cover with Del Rio. Oh, yeah, Del Rio, Texas, and thinking, like, sure. you know, oh, there's people who come from these <laughs> cool places, you know. There's a guy from – there's actually someone from there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I mean, like, I'm from Fort Stockton, so right, it's well, like there you go. Middle, okay, yeah, right. You're and so, Texas like, you, you right. kind of feel like, you know, somebody – like, there's nobody who yeah, becomes really like a – yeah. who becomes somebody, you know – a, a star, you know. Well, and the, were, and the, you know, the funny thing is that you know people outside of the state of Texas have no earthly idea where it is. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, just none whatsoever. Right. Oh, you're down there around the coast. No, it's about 400 miles from there. Oh, you're up there by El Paso. I said, no, it's about 400 miles from there. Yeah, it's a really long border. Okay. <laughs> Can you just like split the difference? Yeah, you know, it's, just, it's <laughs> really long river. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, like, what what impacted Del Rio growing up there? Obviously, you know, learning both Spanish and English, but like, and, um, but like what impact did the, the living down there have on your, your songwriting and like what you decided to put in songs? Well, I, I think one was, um, there was always a history of storytelling. Um, number two was that, you know, my father played and sang, uh, badly at times, uh, you know, uh, was not a great musician, but loved it. And on mm -hmm. any given Saturday night, there's actually a song on the new record called, um, greatest show on earth it is about that um, and there's a, a short story to go with it in the new book um, 
and it has a look you, when you you know when you read it you go ah there's the connection um but yeah. really that was my biggest influence was having that musical connection to family and uh and all of these friends coming over on saturday nights and somebody brought the barbecue and somebody brought the beer and everybody brought an instrument you couple that with the fact that you know um i heard very traditional uh mexican uh folk songs my whole life those mm -hmm. harmonies and i mean i know chris christopherson's from brownsville and he talked about that too just those harmonies and 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 those chord changes really had a huge effect on me um so i mean that was you know another part of it that's another i think piece of the pie of you know if you listen to raining on sunday mm -hmm. that's a that's that's a that's what bangle is what it is I mean, listen to the way that, you know, those traditional Mexican love songs are put together. Um, and then listen to that song and you'll go, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And see, like on that first cover right there, you're kind of like in the oh, yeah. mariachi kind of tinged. suit with tinged. the, with the, with yeah. the uh, uh, lizard, you know, the uh, Native American lizard that from Southwest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you, you mentioned the new record. And it has like the companion book, right? Like what for you to see the stars? What? Uh, I mean, had had you been thinking about like doing something no, similar I, to that? I, I three years ago, I got pneumonia and laryngitis so bad that I was unable to speak for six weeks. Mm. And so about you know, and then I had to do about six more weeks worth of. Um, vocal training you know physical literally physical therapy because you can't just go from that to oh i'm gonna go sing for an hour and a half <laughs> two hours in front of a bunch of people in a band you know you get you can't just do that right and uh so i uh about three weeks in i wrote a note to my wife and i said because i literally was going crazy and um i wrote down i said there's a short there's a song i wrote a few months back and i think there might be a short story in it and i'm going to write this short story to keep from going crazy and she said she didn't even talk to me she picked up the pen out of my hand and wrote down on the same sheet of paper which i wish i still had um, um you should because you're driving me crazy <laughs> and, and so so i uh started in and the first piece that i wrote was sycamore creek which is the last short story in the book and when I got through, I thought, well, you know, this is just an exercise in, you know, sort of exercising your brain and, and, and staying creative. And, you know, who knows if this is going to be anything. And I handed it to her. And um, she was a journalist for many, many years and a magazine editor. And she read it and said, congratulations. It's really great. And you should really think about continuing to write this way. Um, so I started writing short stories, and I got about five in, and I kind of knew. Uh, the first two were inspired by songs, mm -hmm. and then I wrote a third one, and I thought, well, hell, I'll just write a, oh, hey, there might be an idea for your next record. You know, go see if you can't, you know, marry the literary side. And then I, I found a great, great North Carolina publisher. I, it, uh, actually, it's, she's an author named Sherry Smith. Um I, I through it's a long story, but I was able to send her some short stories. Uh, she fell in love with them, and uh, really coached me through a rewrite of one 
and uh, and kind of held my feet to the fire. Said, you know, you you. She actually uh, she had me read a couple of different things, and then read me something of uh, hers that she knew how to tear apart. wasn't really tooting her own horn. Just you know, you know how to tear your own stuff apart, right? You know, right. and so <laughs> she um, read the. I read the two, and I called her, and she read this one to me over the phone, and she said, okay, now you know, look up uh, page four, paragraph two in. Uh, this particular short story and I said okay and I did and uh, she said Rodney read that to me out loud and I read it and she said now that's as fine a paragraph as as ever I have uh, read in anything and I said whoa 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 you can't say that because I know who you read and uh, she said yeah but I'm going to stick to that statement she said but here's the here's the problem that comes with it first you have to tell me why it's buried on page four paragraph three that's like because I'm stupid enough that I don't know I've buried the lead. It's supposed to be the first thing, right? And then uh, she said, yes. And she said, here's the second, and this is the hard part. And I said, okay. She said, if you can write one that pretty, you got to write them all that pretty. So with that in mind, and the way I tore this, uh, these, these other two short stories apart, go rewrite that thing and hand it back to me. And so I spent about a week or 10 days on that short story, rewrote it, gave it back to her, and that was when she said, okay, here's what you don't know. Um, congratulations, you knocked it out of the park. But here's what you don't know is my publisher said, if you ever find something else that you want to publish that's not your own, we'll fund your own imprint. And so I'm the first. Um, and she said, I'll make a bunch of calls to a bunch of other publishers for you who are, you know, have. I said, I don't want to work with anybody else. You know, I, I because that kind of coaching yeah. It was really important to me. And then also, she had skin in the game. Yeah. You know, I mean, she's her, her, her name and her reputation in the literary world was on the line just as much as I am. And she was going to be small and independent the same way that we have a small and independent record company. So when I said, can we get, you know, 60 books and 60 CDs to these guys immediately? Then you don't have a whole lot of chains and channels to have to go through. And, and it's it's worked out really well. Yeah. I think, you know, like the... One of the things I've I've always liked about songwriters is the ones who they they work the other side of the brain or like a different channel of of artistic creativity. You know, like Joey Lee's written a couple books sure. and like Rodney Crowell's written a, a mm-hmm. fantastic memoir. Yeah, you don't I have, have it. Go, yeah, you know, Chinaberry Sidewalks. Yeah, it's a really really um, great book. And even like if you look at like Guy Clark, you know, sure. he making he, guitars, make guitars. A, yeah, I mean, he really is an art. He really, right? is a great 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 great. Uh, craftsman, you know, I mean, he, uh, and he painted, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, he paint he painted the, the cover of Willie Nelson's Stardust. Yeah. You know, so, and th- so, I mean, he, uh, you really multi-talented, truly a Renaissance man. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, like what, what are you, what, what did that do as far as like, you know, helping your other creative juices? Did you find something that you didn't know? that you had in you? Yeah. I mean, I think that, that, um, one of the things that, that, and it really goes back to that, you know, time of having to be quiet and that self-reflection that was necessary because of it. And so I, you know, I asked my wife for acting lessons for Christmas and I ended up, you know, taking a bunch of acting lessons for about a year and a half. And I, uh, uh, ended up, uh, with a, 
a small but great part in a film that just recently came out called Beauty Mark, and I was the lead in a brand new musical that was done at the Tony Award winning Alliance Theater in Atlanta. And I wrote a book, and I'm currently writing a screenplay with my wife based on one of the short stories in the book. So um, my book sitting on somebody's desk in Hollywood made a guy call me and say, I want to have somebody maybe, um, uh, you know, rather than like just licensing a bunch of songs, write these songs from the ground up. And would you be interested? And I said, yeah, so we're dancing around that. I don't know if any of the, the the things will come together. But, yeah, it's just looking at different ways of storytelling and exercising my brain in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that helped me, you know, stay fresh and stay excited about writing songs. Right. Really. Well, I mean, that's this is one of the questions I was thinking of coming up here was, Obviously, you've been writing songs for a long time. You've been playing music for a long time. And um, in those early days, I'm assuming, you know, like the ideas are just kind of coming out all all the time just because, you know, you've not written uh, about everything. But like at some point, do you ever feel is there ever like that a feeling of I'm going to run out of ideas or like. No, I mean, I think one of the things you do is you, you, you know, there's really only a handful of ideas um i mean if you read the greeks right yeah. you know theater and then you read shakespeare <laughs> you go oh oh okay well yeah. there's really only a you know it's a binary kind of <laughs> right you know there is you know uh um fred foster who was uh, chris christopherson's um record producer and 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 at times and then also discovered him uh one of the guys that discovered him and his first publisher uh told him he said there's only you know two kinds of songs and and chris went what are they he goes there's you know boy meets girl and all the variations that go with that Mm -hmm. boy breaks up with girl boy gets girl (laughs) back girl hates guy after they're married i mean you know it's like all of the whatever it is you know they break up finally but somebody dies you know there's Mm -hmm. all of those variations on personal relationships he said and then there's god and he said you need you a a gospel song and chris went off and wrote why me lord so you know know, (laughs) it's like oh well that's how you do that Mm -hmm. um but yeah, I think um, I think the the unique the 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 thing about songs is you get the opportunity to tell that same story uniquely, and that's true of a novel or a short story or a movie. You know, if you start studying them, they 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 all have interesting twists and turns, but really they're they're hearkening back to an archetype, and you know. Yes, uh, the you know the hero wins the day has been written as a movie a gazillion times. Mm-hmm. It just hasn't been written by me the way I would write it. And <laughs> and and if you do it uniquely enough, somebody will go, oh wow, that's clever. I didn't think of that. You know. So right. I mean, you're you know, and you're. Uh, it's like, are you writing a tragedy or are you writing a comedy? And same is true of, of songwriting. It's like, does the guy get the girl in the end? You know, is the, the, uh, you know, um, I was talking with, with John Randall, who uh, he and uh, 
Oh, gosh, why am I drawing a blank on his name? Bill Anderson. He and Bill Anderson wrote uh, uh, Whiskey Lullaby. And, you know, John said he asked Bill the uh, classic question, which is, do we kill her? You know, <laughs> and, you know, it's like, it's, you know, it's a bluegrass song, for God's sake. Mm-hmm. Do we kill her? He said, and, and Bill said, hell, let's kill them both. <laughs> and, and they did. It was, and it's amazing. You know, it's a great song. Yeah. Um, you know, you've you've gotten where you've written with a whole bunch of people. You've uh, obviously early on in Randy Rogers career, you were sure. a, a big. And, you know, and I, you know, I, it's, it's been rare that they've done a record that I haven't had mm-hmm. a song on. Yeah. Uh, I guess like you, uh, you produced Roller Coaster, right? I, I did. I produced the Roller Coaster record in the first. Uh, I produced the one that was self-titled, Randy Rogers Band record, and mm-hmm. then the the following one on, which I cannot remember the title uh, off the top of my head, but it was th- those three records on, on, uh, on U- the two on Universal mm-hmm. and the, the first. What did you see in an early Randy Rogers that that you kind of like? Really, to s- really a guy with you know just that thunderbolt rasp of a voice and really great musicians who i knew were young but man they were just working so hard you knew that they were trying to take their musicianship really seriously and that they were you know nobody was going to outwork them Mm -hmm. and so uh randy kept and and randy's persistence randy kept (laughs) bugging me and bugging me but they were opening up a bunch of shows for me and he said i want you to produce my record i want you to produce my record so I said, well, let me hear what you got. And he said, well, I think we got all 12 songs and on the roller coaster record. He said, I think we got 12 songs. And I said, well, let me listen to them. And I said, well, I think you got four. You might have five, but you'd have to rewrite. You know, he's like, it took me a year to write those 12 songs. And I said, well, get busy, <laughs> you know, get busy. Start writing a song a day. Start co-writing a lot of songs. And we, I said, we're going to write some songs too. And so we wrote about... Uh, half a dozen and I think three of them ended up on the record and um, Love Must Follow You Around It's the Night's Not the Night and right. uh, uh, and then uh, another one that was a hit I can't remember I've, I've lose track yeah. but you know though, yeah so I mean it was it was a really fun adventure they were really green oh Can Somebody Take Me Home that was another one that we wrote off that record and um, you know they were really green, but they really, you knew that they were going to do well in life. You know, you knew that, that like I said, they're just, they were going to make it work. Right. You know, the, and I, I say this like probably on every podcast and every, people listening probably are like, why do you always say this? But like, I'm just infatuated with like the, the co-writing world. Right. Like, you know, it's these two people who go into a room or three people and make something out of nothing. Right. Right. Um, like what has has your process of going into rooms with people changed over the years? Yeah, absolutely. What's like the and it's changed a lot since I started writing prose. I walk in with something. To, I walk in with a paragraph these days. You know, so mm-hmm. well here's an idea. I don't know what it means. I don't know what it is. You know, but here's a little essay I wrote. You know, and the uh, so that changes things. Um, and I think you know. I, write, I still write as many songs on my own, almost, as I do. I probably write a third of the songs that I write on my own and, and two-thirds with other folks. I still shoot for, you know, writing 50 songs a year, a song a week. Um, don't always get there. I won't get there this year, um, but I 
it's July and I've written, I don't know, uh, eight or ten. So, yeah. you know, um, I know I'll slow down in the fall and we'll end up with another, you know, 20 or 30. Right. Um, See, I, I find that amazing, too, is the I know a lot of people, especially going early on, they're like, you know, I it's kind of like the Randy uh, example you just threw out there. We have 12 songs. That's what I want you go to do. Is you yeah. just go do those twelve songs. And then there's other people who, right? I've you, got when, I, 30 when you find out that Bruce Springsteen like, writes, you know, thirty or forty songs for <laughs> each record of ten that he puts yeah. out, and you go, oh, what? Okay. Well, what is like the your, other? Well, part of it was um, my first job was I got signed as a staff songwriter to a publishing company. It was my job to write a song a week, mm-hmm. you know. And then the other was uh, very early in my career when I was uh, I was driving a van for a movie company in Nashville. Um, and it was a temporary job, six weeks long. And um, Willie had a cameo in the movie. And so all I knew was I just, you know, wear good clothes tomorrow because you're picking up talent instead of, you know, a bunch of key grips <laughs> and a bunch of gear. I was like, okay. And, you know, um, and I, you know, uh, had the sign for the film company and, the, and they said, go to this hotel and pick these two guys up. And I did. And it, was you know willie nelson and they told me if they if i talked to the talent that they would fire me and i was like <laughs> the gig's over in two weeks i'm gonna talk to willie i don't really care if they fire me you know and uh so i very polite i just said you know i'm a huge fan we have a mutual friend in austin and i, I kind of left it at that you know and uh and then as he was getting out the rest of it, you know they were on their own and i didn't bug them and then when I was getting out, I said, Willie, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to be a singer-songwriter. Do you have any advice for a young guy like me from Texas trying to figure this out? And he goes, yes, I do. He said, the first hundred songs don't count. Mm-hmm. Keep writing. And at that point, I'd written about 30 songs and thought I was really cool because I'd written 30 songs. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> okay. You know, and when you realize that, you know, Crazy was probably in his first 100 songs. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I feel in a lot of that is it's, it's, uh, obviously it's, it's good advice to tell somebody to keep on writing, but it also, you know, it thins the herd as far as people who maybe weren't. Right. Aren't cut out. You you realize that, you know, writers write, Mm -hmm. you know, I am constantly writing on something either. You know, and these days it's three things. I'm working on a screenplay, I'm uh, writing a novel, and I'm writing songs. You know, I worked with a woman day before yesterday that uh, she's in, both an actress and a songwriter, and so we're trying to write a one-woman show for her. You know, uh, I'm uh, uh, I wrote a song with Eddie that he, my guitar player, he's making a record and he's. Um, you know, he and I wrote one together that is uh, one of the songs on his his record. I'm uh, going to try to sit down and write with the guys from Midland, uh, who I met, and you know, uh, you know, had said yes, absolutely, we would love to write songs with you. And so, um, you know, I'm always writing to something. I've I've written two songs that I think might go on my next album, um, and you know, I am up before everybody else is with a cup of coffee and a, and a, and a, you know, a Mac computer banging on a word doc for yeah. a, a novel. So is, is there like a, 
I don't necessarily want to say like a, a prime hour for you to work in. Like you, is, it depends on what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, um, I tend to work on the screenplay on afternoons and evenings with with my wife. Um, I tend to work on prose, like the the novel, early, early in the morning before anybody else is up, when the house is still quiet for a couple hours. Mm -hmm. And then songwriting is generally either. Uh, kind of 10 to 2 you know is pretty typical or I'll and I get awakened at you know 2.30 in the morning and I have to get out of bed and honor it and go down <laughs> to the basement and just write a song so. mm -hmm. uh, going back to the whole you know how many songs do you feel that you need before you start making a record mm -hmm. um, like what what happens to the songs that that don't make the cut do they sometimes they sometimes end up on, on on subsequent records sometimes they get cut by other people sometimes they're just sitting in a catalog they're, they get pitched by yeah my publishers but you know if somebody doesn't cut them nothing happens to them yeah I've, I've i went through with them you know recently did a sort of this because i have so many years of being with so many different publishers we did this sort of like let's gather everything together in one place and mm -hmm. i realized had written close to a thousand songs yeah and, you know so i was like how is that possible yeah it, it that that's a you know just a, a yeah. mind-blowing number because it's like yeah. you've well, forgotten it's, it's 50 songs more. a year 50 <laughs> songs a year for 20 years will get you there mm -hmm. yeah. uh obviously like i said earlier you know you you've been playing around for a mm -hmm. long time um how do how do songs change how do you feel uh, do you feel differently about songs that you've written early on in your career uh, as you've grown older or do they kind of just always feel like a uh, transport you back into that moment? What's yeah, I think they transport you back. Some of them, the good ones do. Some of them you go, oh God, how did I ever write that? You know, what was I thinking? You know, and then, but the really good ones, you, you know, you realize you had to be that age to write them. You know, mm -hmm. I had to be in my 20s to write Texas in 1880. I couldn't have written that in my 50s. You know, that's that's a that's a young man full of piss and vinegar kind of song. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's... And it is about, you know, beating the odds and about, uh, you know, putting everything that you possibly can into something regardless of the consequences and the risk. You know, uh, that's what young men do uh, if they want to be a rodeo star or if they want to be a country singer or if they want to be whatever it is that they want to be, you have to. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, you sleep less and work more and, and give it all you got and you, you get some passion about it. Right. So um, you got to be that age to make that believable. You mm -hmm. know? So I, I, I stand by those early things. Yeah. Well, I mean, they've been around for a while so i mean they, <laughs> I, like i said like uh you know like the, my first earliest memory of hearing you was that first uh del rio nobody wins kind of cool thanks very so, much man. but yeah it's been enjoyable talking with you here pleasure's all mine man yeah. uh uh let me know when this thing airs so i can uh, put on a pair of headphones when i'm walking <laughs> in my neighborhood yeah for sure thank you so much you take care you as well